Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, this is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee. And that is a damn fine classic line from Twin Peaks with Kyle MacLachlan playing an FBI agent in one of the quirkiest detective shows on primetime television. Now he's one of the stars in an equally quirky movie called Tesla, which focuses on the battle between Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison over whether AC or DC would rule the world's electrical grids. Kyle plays Thomas Edison, who lost the battle, but won the war. Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Alan Boyle, the mastermind behind Cosmic Log, and on this edition of the Fiction Science Podcast, I'll be talking with Kyle McLaughlin about Edison, Tesla, Twin Peaks, and much, much more. So pour yourself a cup of coffee as black as midnight on a moonless night and give a listen. It's been more than 35 years since Kyle McLaughlin, a Washington State native who studied acting at the University of Washington, made his Hollywood film debut in David Lynch's Dune. His best-known character may be FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper in Twin Peaks, but he's also been in more than 30 movies, ranging from Blue Velvet to Showgirls. His other TV series include Desperate Housewives, Sex and the City, Portlandia, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Tesla is one of those rare movies in which Kyle is playing a historical figure rather than a fictional character. In fact, he's playing one of the most significant figures in the history of American technology. So it's no surprise that Kyle has some thoughts about Thomas Edison, as well as the Edisons of our own era. That's how we started our Zoom conversation, with me dialing in from Seattle and him dialing in from his New York apartment. Kyle McLaughlin, thanks for being on the show. This is a real treat for me. You've had an amazing range of roles in your career. I know you best from your portrayals of an eccentric FBI agent in Twin Peaks, the quirky mayor of Portland in Portlandia, and the messiah of David Lynch's Dune. And now in Tesla, you're playing Thomas Edison, who's basically the antagonist, or maybe the straight man, in a quirky movie about one of the quirkiest figures in the history of technology. What attracted you to play this role and be in this movie? Uh, I think you have wonderful choice of words, uh, Alan, quirky. <laughs> it's, it's very good. Um, well, y- you know, it really starts with Michael Almereda, our director, who approached me, oh gosh, a couple of years now ago, and said that he has been interested in making a film about Tesla for, oh, 20 plus years, I think. And, you know, he's, he said, I've finally reached the age where he felt I was um, appropriate for the role of Thomas Edison and what I considered <laughs> that. And I didn't know whether that was a compliment or a, or a, <laughs> or a slight, but I said, uh, wow, that's, um, that's, I'm honored to be, uh, you know, Edison is a, as you said, a, a figure in, in history that is, um, stands, uh, stands very tall. And I thought, well, um, well, tell me a little bit more about 
what you're thinking. He explained his interpretation. I got to read the script. I thought it was very inventive. Um, I appreciated it because it it really told the story of the men. Um, less of uh, less focus, I think, on their accomplishments, and I think a little bit more about um, who they were and what drove them and and why they did what they did. Um, and I and I feel like. Um, with the the added pleasure of the opportunity to work again with Ethan Hawke, who uh, I worked with, uh, we've done actually. We realized we'd actually were in th- we've done three films together now. We started with a movie called Rich in Love, years and years ago, and then we worked together on Hamlet, of course, with Michael, mm-hmm. and then we finished up recently with uh, with Tesla. And I just I so enjoy his his working with him and his and his just his company really. I mean, beyond the, everything else, he's, he's, he's a fun guy. He's a smart guy. Um, enjoys life's really, um, a really good actor. Um, and it's one of those things where we, we seem to have a simpatico in our approach, which is, um, which is not, you know, it happens, but it's not that, not that frequent. So it's been, uh, it was a real pleasure. So, you know, a combination of things, actually, I think that all uh, came together to, to make this seem real appealing to me. Yeah. Uh, the director, Michael Armoreda, went with a concept that makes use of uh, artificial backgrounds and, and acronyms like MacBooks and smartphones and a totally made up ice cream fight. Uh, and Ethan's uh, portrayal of Tesla even includes a slightly off key rendition of everybody wants to rule the world. I know that you've done some weird stuff with another director, David Lynch. Did your work on Tesla strike a Lynchian chord or was it a totally different experience? Oh, um, you know, to- totally different by virtue of the fact that it was Michael and and um, and not David. But but with the same idea of the of the quirkiness, you know, I mean, I think um, uh, and, 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 I, and I think that's a I wouldn't say it's a hallmark of Michael's films, you know, but there there's definitely a um, uh, a, a different uh, point of view or a different curiosity, I guess, in 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 how he chooses to shoot and film a scene, um, or write a scene, and uh, the, the the incidents, the, the situations that you're referring to, uh, they they somehow make the film, I think, a little more uh, accessible. Certainly, the the some of the references to the modern, uh, the anachronistic uh, choices that he makes considering the, the era in which the film is set, um, you know, using the MacBook uh, uh, laptop, you know, having Eve Hewson as Anne Morgan uh, narrate to the camera um, to tell this story. And, you know, there, Michael is, um, you know, he's not a conventional filmmaker by any means. And I think these kind of things, I, I always feel like they're supported by by how he's chosen to, um, by, the, by the story he wants to tell, you know. So let's say we do a scene and then, you know, the, the, the narration is, and in fact, this never happened. Um, but it's the <laughs> what if and the possibility um, that was that was exciting to him. And, and, and that's why he chose to include it in the film. And, um, and I love working like that. I love working with it with the unexpected. Um, David Lynch, of course, you know, is the master of the unexpected um, and uh, and the unusual. Um, and I think, um, but I think Michael is, is, is very similar in that way. 
Are there things that you learned about that era or the history of technology, especially about the AC versus DC current war in the course of making this movie? Or do you try to focus just on the movie and the script and the person? Well, I do focus on on the movie and the script and the person, and primarily the person. But I'm very curious to learn um, about you know the, the 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 fits and starts of of this of, of trying to understand what this uh, ele- what electricity was, you know, and the, and the the trial and error, and in some cases the tragedy of situations that came about because people just didn't really understand it, you know, and um, Michael does a kind of a beautiful way in sort of letting, letting us in on that, on that story um, with the, you know, there's the, there's the electrocution, you know, of a few things in the film, including a person. Um, and you realize that we just didn't know, you know, and, and um, everyone was, was trying to be kind of stoic and approach this with a great deal of reverence. And, and it was one of the beauties I think of Edison. He just sort of said, now nah, this is just a thing, you know, and this is how it works and this is how we're going to make it work for humanity. And he was very practical. I mean, one, I think one of the things that I learned about playing it, this and what is a very practical man, um, you, you know, something he was working on something and, and it didn't work. He would, would just try something else. You know, it was really that simple. There wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, thought given it just, you know, let's, let's bring up the next thing and give that a shot and see if that gets the job done. And that, and so interesting to learn about that, you know, that, it, that it, that it really um, was this, uh, this unknown uh, quantity, this electricity, and 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 how do you how do you harness it? You know, and how do you make it work for humanity? Um, and you can see that these men were were working towards that. I mean, also in a competition. Uh, one of the nice things that Michael did, I think, uh, in t- telling of the story, is to not make. Uh, there's no real villain of the piece. You know, it's really these these two men, completely different personalities and objectives uh, going about their business and just having them, you know, they were a little bit on a collision course. Great, great. Now that you've become a star in the uh, movie portrayal of tech figures, I wanted to ask if you could play any current figure in the tech world, who would you choose? Oh, wow. Well, it's been done. Steve Jobs is quite a fascinating character, isn't he? Um, you know, the story of Elon Musk would be interesting, uh, because I think he's a quirky fellow. Um, and you know, I'm, you look at it as an actor, of course. And so that would be challenging and sort of to, to understand who that, who that is and, and how he moves through the world, what he thinks, uh, how he interacts with people, what, what, um, what made him, um, who he is today, you know, um, what, what was that journey like? Um, these are the kind of things, and I, I can't even tell you why they appeal to me. You know, but as an actor, I guess this is this is my my stock and trade. But I I really um, those are the kind of things that I that I love uh, exploring. Um, and then very very true with uh, Edison. Uh, I've got something else coming out later in the year where I play Franklin Roosevelt and another character in history that um, and and you know m- did much of the same process in my research. Uh, just really trying to discover and dig into who they are as people and, and what made them, you know, who they are when I, when I am in an era and the time in which I'm portraying them as an actor. Well, I got to say, Elon Musk is the first person that I thought of when I 
came up with that question. Mm-hmm. That that would be no. the prime candidate, I think, for somebody to portray cinematographically, uh, if that's a word. Uh, and uh, Franklin Roosevelt is another fascinating figure, especially for these times. And I, I'm sure that we could talk for hours, uh, if time permitted, about uh, FDR and uh, the relevance of what he did to what's going on today. But that might have to be for another podcast. Let's do it. Let's let's sign that up. That'll be out at the end of the year. We can talk again then. Sounds great. Uh, Another movie that I definitely wanted to touch on was Dune. It's been more than 35 years since that movie came out. And as you know, there's a new version uh, that should be coming out uh, perhaps next year. It's too late to give the film uh, director's advice, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about filming Dune in the 1980s and what you'll be looking for in the new version. Oh, I hope they. I hope there's a, a lot of spice consumption. That that that's going to make <laughs> things much more interesting. <laughs> um, I am uh, very much looking forward to seeing uh, uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh, version. You know, he's an extraordinary filmmaker, uh, visionary. I think, and and I think uh, you know we made our film in 1983. Was released in '84, and I think. You know, the technology has changed so dramatically that I think there's going to be, they'll, he'll have a lot more tools to work with, let's say, to create this, uh, this world, this environment. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how, how, how that works. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think the book was so much about the relationships between, you know, Paul and his mentors and, uh, uh, and uh, his father, you know, and, and mother. I mean, these were... I think it's why the book was so successful is that they were really were people, humans with uh, problems and um, not infallible. And, uh, and you saw them try to struggle through this very tumultuous period in, in, the, in the life of their family. And I think that, um, that I, hope, uh, I hope he really is able to uh, recreate and capture because I think it's, it's really an important part of the story. Would you call yourself a science fiction fan? I'd love to hear what you're reading or watching during these COVID times. Um, you know, I am, um, I am a science fiction fan. I was a really big science fiction fan when I was in college. Uh, when I was going to school at the University of Washington in my acting training days, um, I was a um, great science fiction fantasy reader. It was a way to just completely escape from the, I was, a, it was a full day of acting training and I, I wanted nothing more than just to sort of disappear into a completely different world. Uh, and, and sci-fi and, um, and fantasy was a way to do that. You know, currently in terms of uh, reading, I, I, <laughs> sad to say, I spend a lot of time reading wine business magazines because <laughs> of my vineyard, of course, on the Eastern side. Um, so that takes up a bit of time. Um, uh, between that and, and my, and trying to attend to social media, I, I have less and less time to actually open a book, but I have started reading, um, with my son, which is a lot of fun. We were reading Treasure Island and, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson. And, you know, we, we started when he was really young, they had, um, they had an abridged version, which was much kind of simpler. And I just recently picked up the unabridged and it's just spectacular. I'm, I'm loving it. I mean, the way he, the, the way he paints these pictures and these characters and tells the story is, is wonderful. My son's really enjoying it too. So we, we take turns reading to each other before he goes to bed, he does a chapter and I do a chapter. And, uh, and so it's, and it's fun to, to play a pirate, you know, at least to voice a pirate. So that's what we're, that's what we're currently reading. Boy, I would love to listen in on that reading, uh, especially if you're playing the pirate. Uh, how old is your son, may I ask? 
He just turned 12. Uh-huh. Well, I think I may have read Treasure Island around that time of my life, too. And you're, you're making me think that I should go back and check that book out again. It's a wonderful, it's, it's, um, it's a wonderful telling. And he's, he's getting near the age when I think I'll, I'll spring Dune upon him. I think I was, I think I was 15 when I read it, and, um, uh, which was a great age to read it. It also ha- happened to be the age in which Paul is introduced in the book at that age. And, um, and that, of course, that led me, uh, I mean, I read it every year. It became a, it became sort of my, my, the, my Bible. People would say, oh, is that your Bible? And I would say, well, kind of, you know, it was, I, I was so, um, enamored with the book to the point where I would actually write quotes on my English teacher's blackboard in junior high school. She allowed me to do that back then. And, uh, so, uh, uh yeah, so it meant a lot to me that, yeah. uh, that, yeah, I'm listening to uh, Dune House Atreides, which is one of the prequels, uh, and, and I'm loving that book. I don't know if you've come across that, but uh, <laughs> if you feel like you want to get back into the Dune cycle, that's a good place to do it. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. I have that as well. I, I read I read all five when you know um, when they came out. First, it was Dune and Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, and then uh, Chapter House Dune, and then another one, and I've forgotten the title. But anyway, they were all uh, yeah, they were they've been well thumbed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fascinated by the way that your career uh, weaves in and out of the Pacific Northwest, starting with your childhood in Yakima and and the University of Washington, and continuing with the Northwest vibe of Twin Peaks and Portland. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a story that basically asked why you've been taking on such weird roles in your career, and you answered the question in a tweet that said, well, it was Yakima. Explain. <laughs> Explain, please. <laughs> uh, well, yes, I mean, I, that was my, that's my hometown, Yakima, Washington. I grew up there for the first, uh, you know, 17, 18 years. I uh, you know, born there, raised there, and uh, went to school in Seattle at the University of Washington. <clears throat> to be honest, you know, I think I was, I was being sort of um, flippant. I, you know, Yakima was, um, at least when I was there growing up, was an idyllic little place. I mean, it was a neighborhood, uh, the kind of place where you, you know, got up in the morning in the summertime and you jumped on your bike and you went to visit your pals and and your parents may not see you all day until dinner time, or maybe you'd call on a hardline phone and let them know that you were, uh, could you stay over at your friend's house for dinner or maybe even a sleepover. So that kind of place, um, very, very comfortable, very safe. Um, we also happened to live uh, kind of very close to a, uh, one of the parks there, Gilbert Park. And in that park was a, uh, an old apple warehouse that had been converted into a theater. It was a cold storage for apples. And, and um, we're talking a- about the fruit. We're not talking about the uh, computer. Exactly right. It was well before the computer. Um, we had no idea what that existed. Um, anyway, so we were there, and and uh, and so that was the summertime. Was also filled with uh, visits to the theater, and we and my brothers would work there. My mom was involved with the theater, and we would work there in the concession stand or running the spotlight or any other number of jobs that were always somewhat essential, at least for kids our age. And um, and that's where I kind of you know I think I got the bug. To, you know, I, I was definitely attracted by the the lifestyle and the and the fun and kind of the magic really more than anything else that happened tell me about your winery in walla walla pursued by bear 
Um, so Pursuit by Bear is, uh, at the moment, is sort of a virtual winery in, in that I have, um, I don't have a facility. I custom crush, uh, which means that I have a, a place that, uh, that is a legitimate winery. And in this particular case, it's a, it's a winery called Abeja. I'm starting this year with Abeja. Um, and it also happens to be the home of my winemaker. Um, so I, uh, so they crush and they do all the processing of my grapes that come in. My winemaker is there working. He makes wine for Abeja. He also makes wine for my brand, Pursued by Bear. Um, you know, and I, um, it's been a, it's been an extraordinary adventure. I, I I'm very involved. Uh, you know, I do uh, have relationships with many of the growers in the valley, uh, and I'm very particular about where I source my fruit from. I've got also a barrel barrel uh, cooperage in 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 France, and I bring in uh, new oak barrels from a cooperage called Terenceau. Um And um, we are, you know, we're make we're serious about making really really high quality wine, which um, is available and possible to make in Washington State. Um, so um, it's been occupying my time since 2005. And uh, starting with my first label, which was pursued by Bear, and then continuing on through my Syrah, which was which was born the same year my son was born, two thousand eight, uh, and which is called Baby Bear Syrah in honor of him. So, I understand that you've also collaborated with Walla Walla Roastery on a coffee blend called Brown Bear Melange. So, yes. I, I, I really want to know just exactly how fine is that coffee? Oh, you see, you know, I have to say it's damn fine coffee. <laughs> yeah, the wonderful roaster there, Thomas Reese, uh, and his sister Mary own this uh, Walla Walla roastery, and uh, I I think they just uh, they may, he makes extraordinary coffee. I should say he roasts extraordinary coffee, and we came up with a blend, and he said, "Hey, can I use the label from your wine?" Uh, and just sort of change the, the little bit of the writing on it. I said, "Absolutely." So it's the label from my Pursued by Bear, but it's called Brown Bear, and the melange is the blend. And it's uh, it's kind of a darker roast, uh, you know, not uh, just a little more rich in mocha flavors, cinnamon, that kind of thing, the kind of coffee that I like to drink in the morning. It's very tasty. Well, I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you someday when uh, I don't know whether it's going to be in Walla Walla or Los Angeles or Seattle, but uh, I'll look forward to that. Wherever it is and the coffee's good, I'll be there. For more about the Tesla movie, which opens in theaters and on demand on August 21st, check out CosmicLog.com. You'll find more information about the AC versus DC current war that pitted Tesla against Edison, including a video by astrophysicist Andy Howell that explains the science behind the war. Thanks to Kyle McLaughlin for a great conversation. Thanks to James Emley for performing our theme music. And thanks to Kurt Milton for helping me get this podcast in shape. Please subscribe to CosmicLog.com and the Fiction Science Club. And until next time, watch the skies.